Hello and welcome to the Endure Stronger podcast made by runners for runners. We're your go-to guide to get stronger, bulletproof your training against injury and build resilient bodies for life and racing. We're passionate about serving the running community and we bring you the most interesting and accomplished guests to inspire you and keep you entertained on those long, slow sessions. I'm your host, Sam McIntosh, and I'm a writer and a certified nutrition and weightlifting coach, and I'm here with Laura Rutterford, a chartered physiotherapist and Pilates teacher extraordinaire. We're joined this week by Rhys Jenkins, a 32-year-old ultra runner from Cardiff. He started out running across America in 2010 from Boston to Austin, and things escalated from there. Rhys has completed the Badwater 135 mile ultramarathon in Death Valley an astounding four times and he has also run 24 marathons in 24 days he's completed a run from cardiff to london and edinburgh and he's run across iceland he's a super cool guy and we loved meeting him and his wife keris at the national running show this year so without too much further ado i hand over to our interview with reese jenkins hello and welcome to episode two of the endure stronger podcast i'm sam mcintosh with Laura Rutherford, say oh, hello, Laura. My name, hi. Yeah, that was with a little Spanish. <laughs> and we're here with Chris, Rhys Jenkins from Pegasus Ultra Running. How are you, mate? I'm good, thank you. Thank you for having me on. No problem. Yeah. Um, so we've actually said a little bit in the introduction about how we met you at the National Running Show. You were like the first guy and, well, and your wife, Karis, that we ran into and we were like, yeah, we definitely want to have him on the podcast. He's, he's the type of guy who came here to meet. How was, how did you find the running show? Did you, did you have a good one? It was tiring, mate. So tiring. <laughs> yeah. I, I think we were up for about nine, nine hours standing on your feet, which I'm used to nine hours of running, but not nine hours of standing still. My legs were broken. <laughs> yeah. It's weird. But Tuesday, I did that. I was literally about to say, so we've got a guy who uh, a seasoned ultra marathon and let's just list off a couple of the things that you've done so you've survived the extreme conditions of Iceland because you ran across it you have tamed the suffocating heat of Death Valley which okay I think you said in your introduction you've done that four times not just once but four times so that's the Badwater 135 mile official race then 145 canal race another 145 130 and a 2000 mile run from Boston to Austin is that right? Yeah. Yes, yes. You've done your research. <laughs> I have. Yeah. Have we missed any? Yeah, have we missed any that that you wanted to... Oh, and the run from Cardiff to Edinburgh, so from Wales to Scotland. Yes, Not that was... Not um, That was interesting, that run, yeah. <laughs> I, can, I can imagine. So nine hours on your feet. I mean, I feel a little bit better now because I was... I was complaining about all the walking we had to do. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, I'm supposed to be a strength coach. I'm supposed to have this down and nailed and that sort of thing. But I'm actually like... Just the standing and walking around. Yeah, yeah my foot still hurts <laughs> from all that standing and walking around. So uh, a little bit more about Reese. So you're a you were selected as an Olympic torchbearer for the 2012 Olympics, which is very cool. And you're an ambassador for the CF Warriors charity. So I wanted to ask you about that. Is that um, for cystic fibrosis? Yes. Um, so one of my best friends, Joshua Allen Jones, um, he set up his own charity. He, he's got cystic fibrosis himself, and he's okay. noticed um, an improvement in his health from doing exercise. So. It's quite simple, really. Wow. The idea is to get kids with CF doing more exercise. So that's what Cystic Fibrosis Warriors is about. And that's, that's the key message, really, to get more kids mm-hmm. with Cystic Fibrosis out there doing, you know, nothing crazy, but just doing minimal exercise, maybe football, anything like that. And it just helps yeah. with their sort of health, healthy lifestyle. 
That's awesome. Yeah, it, it, the warriors part of it reminded me because Laura's got um, hip. She was born with hip dysplasia, which basically means right. her socket doesn't sit in her pelvis very well. And she has a hashtag on her following on Instagram, which is quite big for hip dysplasia. PAO warriors. PAO warriors. Yeah. So um, it stands for. Don't oh. tell me. <laughs> uh, periacetabular osteotomy. Oh my god, that was yeah. great. And it's wow. basically when they she had a hip replacement when she was ten, and they call themselves warriors because it's you know. But they basically are born with a dicky pelvis and then some of them end up running Ironmans and ultra running and that sort of stuff. So it's but pretty it's a real achievement. Yeah, it's so every day like to that. deal with it. Yeah. And that's amazing. So I guess we've got what one of the things we noticed and we said in our running show recap, ultra running seems to be on the rise in a massive way in the running world. Do you find that? Yeah. yeah. Um, it's He's nodding. <laughs> No, it, it boomed. Um, so my first adventure into ultra running was back in 2010, and it was mm-hmm. very much um, a niche sport. With not, well, there was races around the world, but over the last ten years, there's just more and more races being added. And I think the new, obviously, you've got marathon, which is incredible. But when you look at mm-hmm. it from an ultra perspective, people sort of aim for the hundred mile plus races now Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. there's so many of them around like if you just do your research there's probably one pretty close to you and um Mm -hmm. yeah it's it's a good time to be in ultra running really so what drew you to ultra running to begin with so i know that you um we've gone over that you were doing the work for the cf warriors and you wanted to you said that you used to be called burger boy at school and you're a little bit overweight so you had that to overcome and that sort of thing (laughs) but you know if you wanted to lose weight or if you wanted to raise money for charity there's there's a ton of ways that you can do it what was it about ultra running that really drew you yeah uh i guess the best way to describe it is what how i got into it really so um yeah. i started off doing team sports so rugby football being from wales you couldn't really not play rugby yeah kid. totally and i love the camaraderie the team spirit behind it and after a while they started hearing about ultra marathons or marathons half marathons and they just sort of i guess the competitive nature of me was always intrigued as to whether i would be able to complete one so I did my first mm. half, I finished, I was absolutely blasted, but I, I felt like I had more in me. So I went back and I did a marathon, which was over in Las Vegas. And from that point on, um, we sort of jumped in at the deep end and ran across America. So that 2000 mile run you mentioned, and that was sort of my entry or my uh, jump into the deep end for sort of learning. It was um, it was complete hell for the first six weeks because your body just broke. And then after a while, it gradually, you had that upward trend where your body started, mm-hmm. it did not get any worse. So it started getting better. And I learned so much on that trip. Um, but I also learned the reason why I got into ultra running. And that was sort of the adventure and being able to go further, go places where other people may not be able to achieve and I'm, I'm not a fast runner, but I seem to have this uh, doggedness, this layer of uh, a, a grit, some people call it, where I just I'm relentless in moving forward and wanting to, you know, do hundreds of miles, thousands of miles even. And yeah, I guess the adventure and when you do silly challenges like 2000 mile run, you do raise a lot of money for charity as well. And that, that, that is a, a bonus to the whole experience, really. Yeah, and uh, I'm guessing it's it's Boston, Massachusetts to Austin, Texas. That's where you ran from. Yeah, Yeah, so around the eastern coast. It's funny that you should say that it kind of broke your body for the first six weeks and then you sort of went on an upward sort of trend because we watched – have you ever seen the Iron Cowboy documentary? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, so he actually experienced a similar thing. So they were tracking his... So this guy did the Dean Karnazes, but timed it by Ironman, basically. So he instead of doing 50 marathons in 50 states in 50 days, for those of you who haven't seen the documentary, he did 50 Ironman triathlons in 50 states in 50 days. Had someone tracking his metrics, which you need to when it's something that extreme so you don't die, basically. And they noticed that he went. He was driving himself further and further into a hole over the fifty days, and then he suddenly his body just seemed to accept it. He was putting it through hell, and he actually started to get fitter and faster, as it went. And it's, it, I think that's what one of the draws for ultra running for me is that human resilience is really like it's so surprising what you can put. And I think Laura, as a physio, finds it really interesting what you can put a human body through. Mm-hmm. is uh i think we're constantly pushing boundaries and ultra runners like yourself and like you know james lawrence the iron cowboy guy and it's it's just it, you're capable of it's inspirational because you're capable of so much more than you think you are do you know what what helps us a lot in dealing with two thousand miles it was we, we'd run a marathon the day and after when we started having the upward trend we were running 30 35 miles 40 miles even the day and it wasn't it, it was tough but it wasn't hurting us we were waking up the next day and being able to replicate it but i guess the one thing that we changed after those six weeks obviously the body had broken it could only get better but we looked at it more like a job so we mm-hmm. say, right, instead of rather going to the office for eight hours, we're going to be out on the road for eight hours. Mm-hmm. During your job throughout the day, you'd have a lunch break. You'd have a small break in the morning to try and break up those mileage. And then after a while, you've achieved 26 miles, let's say, and you've only got 14 mm-hmm. left to go. I know that sounds a little bit insane to some people, but when you're out there mm-hmm. trying to run 2,000 miles, you cannot look further than one day. Otherwise, you will drive yourself. You would have, we would have driven ourselves insane, basically. And there's a lesson to take from that, I think, from other things in life, not just like in racing, but if you compartmentalize and segment a goal down, you can, that's the only way that you can cope with it. I mean, yeah. I, I know that when, can you remember when I went to, I went to Yorkshire and but I'm really bad at directions at the best of times, went out in the middle of Yorkshire where I didn't know where I was and did a 120 mile bike ride and I got lost, didn't I? Yeah. And um, it nearly mentally broke me. Because there, it was so bloody hilly in Yorkshire. Apparently, it's worse than the Alps in some some times. And I was always thinking about it. The reason it broke me, I figured out afterwards, is because I was always thinking about it as 120 miles, not it's just five miles or ten miles, and then you get mm-hmm. through it. And I learned that when you when I went to Ironman distance, when you break down the distance and compartmentalize it like that, that's the only way you can do it. Otherwise, it just yeah. overwhelms you. And I said that to Laura because she's preparing for her first marathon now. When you start the marathon. I can't even think about this beyond the 26.2 mile distance. You, you can't think of it as 26 miles because you'll just have a, a horrendous time the whole time. So yeah. I guess that kind of is a good segue into my next question. What's the hard, I mean, it might be Boston to Austin, but what's the hardest race you've ever run? And I don't mean a race as in like, uh, you know, racing against someone else for a time, but what's the hardest mentally and physically um, task you've ever done? I've got a number of tough challenges that will have left their mark on me, should we say, and it's for different reasons completely. Um, the longest challenge was 2,000 mile run, and that was 75 mm-hmm. days, relentless, and we would, uh, we'd break, we obviously got a seven day week, but we looked at it as a week as eight days. So we'd run for mm-hmm. seven days, break on the eighth, run for seven days, break on the eighth. So that, that, that was difficult. That was the furthest we'd run in such a well, 75 days. Um, in terms of a one-out challenge, um, Badwater. So Badwater won 3-5 in Death Valley. 
for those yeah. that, that don't really know what it is, it's um, 135 miles through the hottest place on Earth over three mountain ranges. It's, it is relentless. And for those of you that yeah. haven't been to Death Valley, I think I've experienced the heat at about 52, which equates Degrees to Degrees Celsius. Uh, yes, which then equates to about 136 or something like that Fahrenheit, which it is absolutely boiling. Um, you just feel your head pounding. You, you can't really breathe within the first couple of miles. And you, your oh, body yes. adapts as you would do in that sort of situation, and you just have to remain calm that your body knows how to cope with it, and it, it, it can gradually process it over time. And it doesn't take a while to be able to sort of understand, right, okay, I'm in this extreme environment. Your body learns to sweat better. You monitor mm-hmm. your level of intake of water, fluids, uh, food that's going inside you. But I've had it over there before where I was 40 miles into the run and I was just stopped in my tracks and the, the support vehicle was there, thank God. And mm. um, they... I sat down in the front seat and all I can remember is severe pain starting in my feet and it went through my body like a, uh, it was like a lift. It just went straight through my body and it knocked me out, clean out completely. I woke wow. up at the sides of the road covered in dust and I, God knows what was all over me and I, I thought I was about to play football and I'm looking around <laughs> and, and I'm like, this isn't, this isn't Wales, this isn't green, it's not raining, there's no football. All right. <laughs> Where am I? I'm in Death Valley. All right. So were you on your own at that point? And the, so they, I was luckily next to the support vehicle. So they dragged me out of the vehicle and like I'd fallen in the dirt and when I was passed out. And I gradually, I was like, oh, I'm in Death Valley. Oh, I'm doing bad water 135. Oh, I'm only 40 miles into this. <laughs> it gradually just got worse and worse and worse. And that genuinely was one of the toughest things I've come across. Death Valley to me is I love the place. I love Badwater 135. It scares mm. the hell out of me. But the more it scares me, the more I have to do it. And that, that's why I've, I've been back four times. But actually, I went back a fifth time last year as well. So technically, I've ran it five times. Only once in the race, but four times previously as well. So, yeah, that would be my toughest challenge in terms of the physical side of it. And then, have I got time to give you one more? Because it is quite an interesting Yeah, I time, mate. Yeah, go for it. Um, so the next one would have been, it was a cycle actually, nothing to do with running. And me and a group of friends were going to cycle from Rome to Paris in a non-stop relay format. So mm-hmm. I'd cycle, then you, then Laura, and me, then you, and Laura, just round in a circle for, until you get to the end. And we got outside the Colosseum and one of the guys was in the Lycra with the bike ready to go. And we went, right, off you shoot. And he goes off down the road. We all go back to the support vehicle and we're like, yeah, where is it? And we're like, oh, maybe we've parked it on the other street. So we spend about an hour. Bear in mind, this other guy is now cycling out of Rome. And it mm. slowly hit home that the vehicle had been stolen, <gasps> along, with oh, e- along with everything that we had. So our clothes, um, I luckily had my phone and my, uh, my wallet on me because I was still in normal clothes. And we just panicked. We're like, oh, my God, what do we do? So we contacted the cyclist and told him to stop. We told him what had happened. And the first thing you do is uh, we ran home. And they were like, oh, there's a tracker on the van. We're like, oh, my God. And they gave us the location. Anyway, we the first thing you do is, like, I want my stuff back. So you don't think about what's waiting for you. And we went 
straight to where that was did have not we just didn't care we wanted our stuff back and the vehicle of course it was a rental vehicle so it wasn't even ours um got there and they'd actually gutted the thing they'd taken everything uh all the we had a huge crate of food kit we had a spare bike everything had gone and in the front was a a bin bag and in the bin bag he'd left our passports so we're like what the hell? <laughs> so these people have stolen our stuff but they've left our passports how kind of them and anyway nice criminals nice criminals we still had we still had the vehicle and we still had one bike from the cyclist who'd set off and we still had one set of kit so long story short we actually ended up doing the challenge and we shared cycling kit for four or five days between four oh I bet that was pleasant (laughs) did you wash it did you wash it in between what no No. oh he's shaking (laughs) his head oh man that is dedication dude you know what though that really hit me hard that challenge and it gave me the it gave me the contrast of uh, well, people really because somebody's stolen our stuff and mm. we informed the charity the charity put out a tweet or a social media post and up until that point we'd raised about 500 pounds and no word of a lie we raised about 10 grand in one day after that news broke oh, and the wow. donations just came in like a clock it was just um they will, they will live long in the memory. It was one of the toughest challenges in my life for many reasons, but it was still one of the highlights as well. That's a pretty awesome story <laughs> as well. And I think I think that's with the trail and ultra running movement. It's not just like with road races, they're very well marshaled usually. Well, hopefully they are. And usually, um, hopefully on closed roads. And it's a challenge. But with ultra and trail running, like uh, I had a friend of mine who did the Kaltman Triathlon. And when you go up the hill for the marathon... So you have to go up, up basically a mountain. You have to take a support runner with you because if like they don't if have marshals, they're not going to put marshals up there to stand around. Right. So, so it's like with the, that's what I find really, really impressive about the ultra and trail things because not only are you pushing your body to its physical limits, like you could get lost or you could hurt that yourself. Is your worst nightmare. Yeah, I, I hate being lost. Like I like it's one <laughs> of the most stressful things, and it's because my sense of direction is so appalling. Like when I'm on a long run and I plot it out on Strava, I'm literally just looking at my phone pretty much the whole time because <laughs> if I don't check it every five minutes, I'm going off on a tangent because if you turn me around, I won't know where I am. And your heart rate's going to go skyrocketing because yeah. of stress. So but <laughs> that's what I do. Yeah, like in that story, like you're out on an adventure, you could get robbed, you could collapse a heat stroke and there's no one around. Uh, or there could be no one around. Luckily, there was a, that support vehicle for you. But that's what I find really impressive about it. It's an adventure as well. And you're actually putting yourself. I don't think some people realize this, like they're actually putting themselves at significant risk, especially for things like MDS and where you're in the middle yeah. of de- or death. You're in the middle of desert. And if if heat straight strikes and you don't have a support vehicle around you, it's pretty much game over. So, yeah, I think that's it's incredibly brave. Yeah, really, really awesome. All so very how- stupid. <laughs> All very stupid, yeah. One or the other. I think there's a fine line between those things, isn't there? So there's definitely a fine line between stupidity and bravery. Like when I heard about the guy who was doing the 50 Ironman triathlons in 50 days, I was like, oh, wow. I was extremely impressed, but a lot of people were just like, dude, you're not going to be able to do that. And just completely dismissed it. Doesn't that make people want to do it more when people say you can't do that? Yeah, and I think that, yeah, there is that thing where – and I had it, I've had it with races before, when you take on something ultra distance and you have that, I really don't know whether I'm going to be able to complete it or not. You kind of get addicted to that. Would you agree? Yeah, I'd agree. Um, I think the more somebody tells me you can't do it, the more I will be hell bent on completing it. Um, <laughs> mm. But no, 
it, you're right with that point completely. One hundred percent, I agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. So. Okay, so that actually covers one of our... So we've got a rapid-fire question round that we're going to put okay. you through. Um, but we're not going to get to that. Where, but one of them... Yeah, one of them is something you believe that other people think is insane. Would yours be... What would yours be? What would I... So a challenge or... No, so something that you believe to be true but other people think is insane or usually say that's crazy. <laughs> I have a, I'm quite superstitious, so I won't walk over or run over free drains without spinning round. Um, a lot of people tell me that's insane. <laughs> you know, I'm just going to point out that most people don't run through deserts. I mean, yeah, that's not something I do on a regular basis. <laughs> For much more well-established reasons of dehydration, <laughs> death, you know, stuff like that. But the drain thing, okay, I like that one. That's the thing that you think is insane. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that. Okay. So we've got one of your worst, your worst run, and obviously your they, they're kind of like tied. Worst and best are usually tied with experiences like that. Do you have mm-hmm. a favourite run? So a favourite in terms of scenery or memories or anything like that? Yeah, um, so Badwater. It's it, it gonna. This, this is like my toughest, but also my most favourite race on the planet. Um, and it's mainly obviously the challenge, but the, the the scenery is just out of this world. I swear to God, um, if you ever get a chance to go to Death Valley National Park, just go. It, for it, it's very hot, but the mountains just burst out of the valley. It's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. But when when the sun disappears, so when you, there's this point in the race where you start nighttime go for the night and then the morning hits and the moon disappears over one mountain whilst it pops out and the sun pops mm. out from another it's it's just absolutely insane wow. but at the night time over there as well the stars i've never seen anything like it like you, you get the creepy crawlies and the spiders at the sides of the road and the scorpions yeah i'm not going there <laughs> <laughs> um but literally the views are out of this world and you actually start below sea level and funny mm. enough, somebody is halfway up this mountain. They've put the actual sea level. So you, you're looking up at it going, like somebody sadistic has gone and done that to mess with your head. Uh, the Death Valley National Park is this, uh, yeah, that's my favourite place on this planet, really. Gently, yeah. I'd say, yeah, that's my favourite one. I'd agree with you on the stars thing. So when I was in university, I did a uh, summer in New Hampshire, which is like in the middle of nowhere. Uh, the place I was anyway was in the middle of nowhere. And you just, you don't see, see stars like that in England. And you don't see the moon like that. It's, um, especially when you're in a clearing like that, it's just incredible. You can see like meteor showers and stuff. And, you know, in the UK, we're used to sort of like moderate weather, beautiful scenery in some places, but the stars out there, you just can't believe it. There's no like uh, light pollution, is there? So you get the full yeah. range of yeah. it, basically. And it's just absolutely Wales, gorgeous. Though. Yeah, you, that's in, true. The, in the Elan Valley, where they have like a, they have not a law, but it's where like they just ban lights, so it doesn't pollute the air and stuff. It's fantastic. So yeah, there's places close, places closer to home as well. <laughs> well, yeah, they've also got. I mean, my dad's from Scotland, and they have. You can see the Northern Lights in places in oh, Scotland, wow. which a lot of people don't know. Um, which actually, there's a, my mum always tells a story of when they were dating. My dad was like, look, it's really romantic. It's, you know, Aurora Borealis. It's the Northern Light Show. And he stopped someone and he said, look, I'm showing this girl the Northern Lights. Isn't that just a beautiful Scottish tradition? And he went, do you mean the laser story from the nightclub down the street? <laughs> <laughs> and my, apparently, it was like their first or second date. My mum was just like, has never let it go. Brings it up every time someone brings up the Northern Lights. But yeah, oh, the UK, no. I think. 
like some parts of Wales and Scotland, obviously the Celtic places, because they're not the English places. Well, yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> get on the right side. But the um but no, it's just in, in America it's just so clear, it's it's absolutely stunning. So what when we um said we were going to interview you on our um Facebook group, the Endure Struggle for Life Facebook group, uh we've we had a lot of questions about okay, I'm a first time ultra runner. Is there anything, that, any advice, let's say three tips that you would give to a first-time ultra-runner, someone who's preparing for their first one or thinking about it? Yeah, um, take your time. Don't stress. Mm-hmm. Don't stress about time. You, you will get there as long as you've put the training in. And it, it is, uh, I don't know if it's cliche, but I've seen it knocking around quite a bit lately. You don't have to go, you can still go slow and go fast is you will pace yourself and you'll be able to run further than if you're going out and you're working your heart rate. You said when your stress levels rise and your heart rate works harder, your body's working mm. harder, isn't it? Um, mm-hmm. An ultra, you want to be able to relax into it. And 40 miles is an intimidating distance. And the least, the less pressure you can put on yourself, that is what I'd say. So just try to literally enjoy it as much as possible. And it is a bit cliche, but yeah, you don't have to go fast. You don't have to go sl- is it you can go slow to go fast basically in an ultra marathon um eating little and often so instead of trying Mm to gorge down a massive snack if you can just top up your tank every hour and make sure that you're taking a substantial amount of not substantial maybe three four hundred calories an hour depending on what energy Mm -hmm. you burn and then the final point i'd be is hydration I've seen so many fall over, so many people where their, their race has ended because they've just neglected to take on enough fluid. And it's, the more fluid you can get in the body, the, the, more, the better your muscles are going to work, the less impact on your heart rate. It's, um, yeah, something I'd say. That's what mm. Those would be my three tips. And so good what, shoes. Good shoes as well, genuinely. Good shoes, um, good shoes. Yeah. It's, it's, well, Any it's recommendations where, on the shoe front? Um, I wear so- Sokini, Sosini, I don't know how you pronounce it, mm. <laughs> but I use those for anything I run in, and it could be a trail, it could be on the road, uh, Sokini ride ISOs I wear, there's enough cushioning, mm-hmm. it's worthwhile investing in a good pair of trainers, because that, that's the first thing that hits the ground, it's where all the, the pressure comes from, it's where the, the impact comes from, you need to look after your feet in an ultramarathon, otherwise mm-hmm. you fall apart. No, I can. Do you know what? There's so many questions that have just come from what you just said. I don't even know where to start. But we'll start <laughs> with the with the running. I suppose running form and the shoes sort of question. So a lot of the discussions that we have with runners are the most frequent question we get asked are about like what type of shoes should I get and mm-hmm. how important is form and that sort of thing. And we always say, and this is from a road sort of runner's bias you have to run with good form. Like we had hit sort of like the pose running method, like mid to four foot strike and um, a high cadence. So a high, um, high number of, and a short stride in terms of um, trainers. Like we're just like, you need to obviously get your gait tested and things like that, but we're not really into like support or orthotics or, or mm-hmm. things like that over overly compensating for bad movement. Yeah. Would you say that, how would you say that's different in the ultra running sort of community obviously because you need different a certain different types of shoes for the trails to cope with what's going to be under your feet but yeah can you think of anything um, else if, if they if they are muddy trails and you know it's been raining for a long time you're gonna need grip 
basically. Yeah. And grip will help you a long way. Um, back to your point about cadence, and I guess I'm a good example when it comes to not the norm. So my running technique is very, um, it's not a good form. It is, it's comfortable for me. It's natural for me. So I have a very, very short stride. So then a very, mm-hmm. very high cadence. And my foot rate is always moving over. It's almost like a train, but my feet barely leave the floor, which some people sometimes look at me and go, is he injured? Is he, sh-? people call it a shuffle basically. Cause then I don't mm-hmm. have the impact of my knees hitting on the floor. And it's not Absolutely. something that I've worked on. It's just come naturally. But what I do, I, I condone living ultra running is my stride also changes. So mm-hmm. if I'm, try- if I'm a hundred miles into a 145 mile race and I can just feel some sort of pain, I will shift my running stance on my form to sort of counteract that in a way and make sure I'm still moving forward. Like I did a VO2 max test about two weeks ago and there's a video of it and you can see that I'm going through the different motions of, or range of movements, different stride patterns just to hang mm-hmm. on in that VO2 test just so I can get as far as possible and see my true measurements. So yeah, that was what I'd say with that when it comes to ultra running anyway. And it's hard to compare yourself to somebody else because with an mm. ultra running, you want, an ultra runner comes in every shape or size. And sometimes when I get in a good conversation with people about ultra running, they, they, they're genuinely surprised that I'm a runner to start off with. Because I, I quite, oh, what he mentioned it earlier, my nickname when I was a kid was Burger Boy. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I, do, I do carry a bit of weight, but you know what? That helps me. So I, I have a really solid core. And that's mm-hmm. one part of my body, which I do focus on a lot, is to make sure I have a solid core because everything else comes off that. And when you're going for 145 miles, which may take 40 hours, you need a good solid. So like compound movements in the gym, so like squats, deadlifts, I'm never working a muscle, which I won't be to use in running, if that makes sense. Yes. You're preaching to the converted. Yeah. I'm so <laughs> glad you said that, though, because a lot like a lot of the conversations that we had at the national running show and when we did our recap we mentioned this there was not one strength uh booth there at all so we've got guys who are running 30 40 50 miles and runners who are sprinting as well and there was no representation for strength work there and as a british weightlifting coach like that's how we started this whole thing we went to a running club and we were like cool so what what strength training do you do and they were like don't do any and we're talking like high level club marathoners, so sub three guys, three and Boston qualifiers, that sort of thing. We're like, you don't do any at all. You put that much strain in like a weight bearing exercise, and it's even more for ultra sort of distance and um, going up mountains and things like that. It's like, and you don't do any accessory work at all. So super um, glad that you said that because well, we were I like, no, sorry, Karen. I was going to say I, I do three gym sessions a week and it's usually up to an hour in each one and it is literally compound exercises trying to get the movement back in my muscles as well because my <laughs> sh- my my stride is very short so you can imagine my hips are very tight the whole way but from just <laughs> doing deep squats or from doing deadlifts or doing chest press or shoulder press um, I get the movement back eventually and it does like like you said yourself you're going up a mountain you need to be able to call upon your inner strength or not your inner strength but your whole muscle group to be able to get you up there yeah and it's and I can totally empathize as well I mean because I'm not uh, I mean, I'm 75 kilos and 5'7", so I come from a strength training background and uh, I, I played rugby as well. So size isn't really, I'm not a petite, I'm never going to be a petite sort of person. But mm-hmm. when I say to people like my marathon times and things like that, they're like, really? And I'm like, I'm 
quite strong. Like, and I don't think a marathon event is, is a strength event. I think more than it's an endurance event, but it's not, you're not out of breath at the end of it. You're not yeah. like <gasps> catching your breath. You're it's putting your body under extreme stress. And if you've got strong tissues and joints, it will cope with it a lot better. I so think. One, one, one question I tend to ask people when they run a marathon to see whether they'd be interested in doing an ultra marathon is if you've taken your time a bit more with the, the drink stations or the food stations and actually had a two minute rest at each one, when you got mm. to the end of that 26 miles, do you think you would have been able to go three more miles, three and a half more miles? If you've taken your time in the marathon to sort of make sure you're taking on enough calories, you're taking mm-hmm. on enough fluid when you've got the option to do that. Do you think you would have been able to squeeze out another three miles? Mm-hmm. Are you, you asking reckon, me that? Yeah, I'm asking you that. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah. It, it's, it just puts it into perspective because three miles is 5k and you've done that you've done an ultra you know it's it's just relaxing yeah. that, that, that's a slight difference to marathons you get caught up with the people around you like a london marathon you just see people left right center the whole way on an ultra marathon you don't see a lot of people because there's not a lot of people out there anyway you haven't got tens of thousands of people you've got like hundreds of people and sometimes mm-hmm. if the race is difficult you've got less than hundreds of people so it's a yeah no, I, I like, and I feel uh, like I, it's something that we we feel really strongly about that that like you need to have strong tissues and joints if you're going to put them through those types of duty cycles. And one of our favourite things to do is to just get people. And we did this with the editor of Women's Running at the show, didn't we? Oh, yeah, and we, did. we, she said, you know, I've got pain. We said, okay, can we just do a little test? And we got her to do a single leg hop test, and she couldn't do t- uh, ten in a row, or she struggled to do ten in a row. And it's like that's running over and over and over and over again and if you can't do it without pain 10 times I mean, so and if it's just around the corner if it's not there already yeah so it's um yeah you need to strengthen the tissues and joints so yeah super glad you said that i want to go back to the hydration point as well mm-hmm. so um what, that's probably the third second most popular question i get is just like how should i hydrate and usually when i look at most athletes is a question not a question of how much water they take on but how much sodium they're replacing once they're taking it on like you said um a lot of people seem to think that electrolytes are to do with like muscle cramps and things like that but the evidence the strong evidence is more that it's to do with what i call like heart and heat so about regulating your heart rate and keeping your temperature down and especially in something like death valley if you're not Mm -hmm. taking on enough salt which is counterintuitive, isn't it? Because a lot of people think that's dehydrating. You'll just overheat. So do you have a, like a, a strategy for sodium and electrolyte replenishment? Yeah. Sorry to keep going back to it, but Death Valley, I guess, is the perfect example last summer. Um, so when I'd been over there previous years, there was a stint of about 25 miles where I had cramped up twice out of the four times I've been there. So there was something apart. You basically, you go through the hottest place on earth. There's no, there's no question about it. It's the hottest place on earth. It's where they've measured the hottest temperature on earth. And what we did, my tactic from the start of when the, when the whistle went or when they said get going down the road was to literally just get as much in my body as possible. So even before the race started, I was drinking salt drinks. I was making sure I had enough fluid. And I, I guess you do a urine test to make sure that you've got nice, clear urine before you go into the race, just so you know that you're nice and clear. But um, about 18 miles into the, the race, the guys in my support group, bless them, they're incredible people. they like, you've put on weight. And I'm like, what? They're like, yeah, you've got a bit of a pot belly because I was running with my shirt off because it was so hot. And we were mm. like, okay. So it was because I'd been taking on so much salt that we knew my body was just about to start rejecting it. But we stopped it. We saw the way. And then I started putting a load more just water and nothing else. They wouldn't give me anything mm-hmm. else. So I ran the whole way through 
Death Valley holding a, a 500 mil water bottle in each hand. Okay, so it's just because wow. it's easy access. You can drink it, and you keep topping it up. So with the rule with like eating little and often, if you can drink little and often as well, you can keep yeah. on top of it. But I got to about 18 miles. I put on weight. They gave me water and nothing else. And that set, next 25 mile section where I'd usually cramp to went like a dream. It was literally, we'd figured it out completely. We managed to get through that bit unscathed. And it's because we'd really focused the game plan on over-salting the body to a point where, all right, it was a bit risky because it could have rejected it and it could have caused me a lot of issues. But it topped my body up enough of salt to get through the next 25 miles without any cramps at all. And I don't think I cramped once in that race, actually. I had muscle pains and aches, but I just managed to moderate it. We dropped the heart rate, like you said as well, in that 25 mm-hmm. miles stint. And yeah, it's just trying to relax in a difficult situation, make sure your fluids are going in you, and little and often again. I think that's the main rule with ultras, any ultra. Yeah, I think with any long distance race, and um, again, this is something that I don't see enough people doing, is you need to preload your electrolytes and sodium before a race. Mm -hmm. So um, if you have like a certain amount of sodium and things like that, and electrolytes mixed before, like the day before your race, like 12 hours before it starts, and then fuel while you're there, and then after, but like you say, you figured out a strategy that's worked really well for you, and it's the, the hydration side of things is just the same as nutrition. You need to find what works for you. So some people in ultras, I know, have like little nibbles of cliff bars. Some people use tailwind. Some people use, you know, yeah. juice. There's a guy, there's a there's a girl and a guy couple that I know who run ultras. They have pizza, you know, and it works for them. <laughs> people always say, like, isn't that bad? I'm like, if it works for them and they're winning races and stuff, then who's who, to say yeah, otherwise? Who's to, who's to say, who's to say otherwise? But, yeah, it's it, – I don't think that you can underestimate how important that stuff is for getting through, especially something like Death Valley. Do you know, like when you when you're absolutely knackered, you could get it when you come back from work or you've had a tough day in the office or I don't know something's happened. You just want comfort food, and when you're 100 miles into a 135 mile race, you don't want all these sugary caffeine gels. The guys didn't give me any caffeine for about. 24 hours of the race it was literally they would not give it to me at all because it would backfire on me but it's going to the stuff which you've tried and tested so I wouldn't take anything on in a race which I have not tested beforehand because I don't know how it's going to react to my body and something that I use I swear by is uh, watermelon uh, coconut water and you know pomegranate seeds you know you can buy them in the packet so I get those and I pour them into water and I'll just drink them so they, they are full of so much goodness. It's um, They're the three things I take with me on an ultramarathon to make sure I have enough to sort of top up the tank, should we say. Sounds delicious. Yeah, they're great. Fair, so we should try that next time. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> so um, I want to be respectful of your time, Reese. so we'll, we'll move to start wrapping things up. But I wanted to ask you, we'll have a final two questions. First one, worst advice that you hear people give in the ultra running world? Worst advice? Yeah, can you wow. think of any... Um, I've heard a lot of horror stories where people have been told before a race that they shouldn't be doing the race and then it just gets in their head straight away that they're not going to complete it. So you have mm-hmm. that, that, they have that negative, they have that feeling where they've already beat before they've even put a step in front of one another. Um, and I, I guess it's, it's when you try, when you take one package and you try fit, fitting it for a hundred people. Because that one package mm-hmm. will not fit 100 people and it will not work for 99% of those people. It's just, You cannot compare yourself to the next person next year. And I just hate it when I see people trying to offer you that 
one hit wonder which is going to get you to I don't know a hundred mile race straight away it's it's different for everyone and I hate I hate seeing it when people class individuals as a group of people and give them do you mean like do you mean like with when people um offer coaching programs for ultras as in they say if you do this you can complete a 50 miler or something or do you mean um both really sometimes yes i do i I don't like it when if sometimes i see this amazing package which they're going to charge you an arm and a leg for which they're guaranteeing you a finish is nothing's guaranteeing nothing's guaranteed in the world of ultra running let's put that out oh do you mean sorry to interrupt you mean race races when they offer that and they say we'll guarantee you finish yeah, or just package of training programs where it's yeah. everybody's different. And you said yourself you're 75 kilograms, but if you t- try taking, I don't know, somebody like a Kenyan runner and you try saying, right, this is what they've done, now you should go and yeah. do it. You're going to get yeah. that. That is what I'm trying to get at there. And that's mm. why I don't like seeing. No, I totally agree with that. And in nutrition, you see that a lot. Um, in all the running groups I'm a part of, they're just like, what do you guys eat? Well, like, how do you guys train? What time do you wake up in the morning? Like, that sort of thing. It's like, dude it, that's going to be different for everyone like what time you operate best at what food or diet is best for you but we're really kind of agnostic like that aren't we mm-hmm. we have some certain sort of like you probably should train strength train make sure that you eat enough and eat generally whole foods but apart from that if you want to be vegan or carnivore or keto or anything like that if it works for you and it's and it's uh tailored for you and you've tried it and you like it there's not really much we can say. You've got to respect the individual, which yeah. is something that we really loved when we met you. Um, you yeah. know, your ethos about your company and, you know, you don't leave anybody behind. Everybody is, ta- you know, catered for and cared for as an individual. Yeah. And we just love that about, you know, the company that you run. Um, oh, th- thank you. Um, yeah, yeah. It's something that we, we pride ourselves on. Um, I, I, I don't know if it was you guys or somebody else that called us the park run of ultra marathons on the weekend. Somebody told us that. that uh, I don't know if it was you guys or somebody else. But that's that wasn't us, that, but I love that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because they, they said we're all inclusive, so we, we don't have cutoff time. So you may have seen, heard me badgering on earlier about um, the pressure of time. And sometimes if you can just forget about it, you eliminate a, a level of stress which you don't need. So we don't have cutoff times. And the only rule we, we make a joke of is don't pitch up a tent and we all wait for you. you. You've paid to enter this race. You've spent months and months of your life training to do this race. We owe it to you as just human beings to wait around for you and help give you the best chance to get into the finish line, really. And yeah, that's, that's our niche. I, I, I don't see many of a running companies out there um, doing it and that's not me going you should get rid of cut-off times completely I understand that but it's just something that we've chosen to be a little bit different with I think and I think that's a great ethos and this is me speaking as someone who's been um I wasn't swept off an Ironman course but I knew that I was running behind the bike cough so I had to pull out of the race it is the worst feeling in the world like on race day and like having I had to cycle back through where where the race was and meet my mum and Laura and say i like I fell behind the thing it's the worst thing in the world when you try and do something and the the most annoying thing for me is that I knew I had it in me to finish I was just falling behind time I was a little bit unwell and things weren't it wasn't a great day for me in general but well I'm stubborn like that and I knew that I would have pushed through but having to having to quit because I was falling behind a time deadline that was a hell of a lot more stressful than any physical stress so I loved that about your about Pegasus Ultra running I thought that was awesome I've learned a lot more from my failures than I have from my successes, and that's 100%. You learn when you when you effort completely, 
you then assess what went wrong. So I imagine that's exactly what you would have done after that to see what actually yeah. happened. And you just gave a brief synopsis. I'm sure there's a lot more information to go in with with that. But yeah, mm. you learn a lot more from your failures. And a DNF is a DNF. It's, it's not going to change your life, you know. It's, it, happens, <laughs> it happens to everybody. So you just have to process it, learn from it, and go back and kick it in the ass, basically. Yeah, I, I think I totally agree. And I think that's, I mean, I don't think Endure Stronger would be here now if that hadn't have happened to me. No, probably not. Because, like, um, it was a big blow at the time. But, but yeah, it was, I think what we love to go back to the point about um, Pegasus Ultra is that they don't, they're just like, look, you can come and try Ultra here. It's a safe space for you to come and give it a go and enjoy the scenery and we won't leave you behind. I think that's really a reassuring for people as it becomes more popular to say, you know, this is a race that you can do and it's gorgeous scenery. And you know what? We're not going to sweep you off the course. If you, if, <laughs> if you, you enjoy you know it a bit more, don't you? You can actually take in the views or the scenery and you're running 100%. through beautiful, beautiful areas of the world, which not a lot of people have ever run through, you know? So it's, uh, yeah, it's special. It's win-win, win-win. So that was, the worst advice would be to stress about time and for people to say, people to tell you, you can't do it. Mm-hmm. Well, if you want any advice, if anyone's listening to this and people are telling you you can't do something, probably time to give them the boot. But um, <laughs> what's, the, uh, what's the best advice in the ultra yeah. world, do you think? Um, not to compare yourself to somebody else um, we're yeah. all different we all have different stride patterns we all have different tanks and I've seen it a number of times where I've had people pass me in a long long race and I've just literally one or I think a couple of times where I've panicked I'm like oh my god I'm being passed I'm being passed but and then I've like suffered throughout that race suffered 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 the best and most enjoyable races I've had is when I've let that person go past me and just believed in my own ability to be to literally, they, they, they're going out too fast. And you, you have to stick to your game plan and not compare yourself to other people. You can't get drawn into a race for 145 miles because it's, it's two days you're out there. You know, it's something which it's impossible to, for me anyway, I, I just don't like getting dragged into a race with people. And I believe in my ability and my plan of attack to go in towards to get there. Yeah. Don't compare yourself to others. I think that's awesome advice like across running, trail running, ultra running, triathlon, that sort of stuff. Okay, so I think we're going to wrap stuff up now. Have you got anything else you want to ask, Reese? Um, well, you've, you've mentioned a lot of stuff about your strength training, accessory training. Um, my last question, just to throw in there very quickly, if you could pick one part of accessory training, so not running itself, but one aspect of accessory training that you could do to help other people, which aspect would that be? So well, what do you mean by accessory training? Because when you say an accessory um, to me, I'm like my headphones straight away because I want to listen to <laughs> <laughs> Um, so like you've mentioned your strength training, um, stability work, Pilates, yoga, mobility stuff, which bit do you find the most helpful? I genuinely wish I'd started stretching earlier on in my running career. I've only started taking it seriously over the last three years and it's because my body got so bad. I was aching, struggling to sit down in the car, you know, sitting when you, that initial, when you sit down in a car or getting out of a car, it's complete, mm. it was just terrible for me. So yeah, stretch. Like, don't be afraid to warm up. Don't be afraid to warm down. But just a little stretch after one will go a long way. And focusing on that, there's loads of videos out there where you can work your hip flexors, you can work your hamstrings, you can work your hips back. And now, touch words, I'm literally getting back to a place where I haven't been, I've never been a flexible person, but I'm now becoming a flexible person. So the aftercare as well. So I guess stretching and aftercare, so looking after yourself and if I was to give you one thing, um, having an Epsom, Epsom salt bath, have you ever heard of that? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. the recovery baths, yeah. After a long run, if you can just get yourself in an Epsom salt bath for 20 minutes, I swear by them, I've had them, I do three or four a week, and it just helps reduce the swelling, it relaxes your muscles, and it's a nice warm bath, it's not a shower, you know? So it's, yeah, <laughs> yeah that's why I'd say stretch. That's a great bit of advice. No, I love it. And actually, we'll post a link to um, hip flexor stretching, because if there's any ultra trail runner guys, usually because you're on the ascent as well as running, going like this hip flexors will probably get the tightest out of all the disciplines so yeah we'll post a link to that so reese where can people find you and find out a bit more about what you do and pegasus ultra running yeah no of course so you can find me on instagram and facebook on instagram i'm rjenko11 and on facebook i'm just reese jenkins um guy with a really ginger beard (laughs) and then for pegasus if you just search pegasus ultra running uh, in Google, or if you go on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, you can find us on there. And there's some really cool videos of some of our routes, which uh, they're beautiful. You guys saw a couple of them on the weekend, didn't you? So it's, we uh, did. You've got the Vogan one coming up, I think, um, that just looks absolutely stunning. Yeah, hopefully yeah. there'll be some spaces left for that one by the time we publish this in a couple of weeks, because mm-hmm. I think you're only on 50 spaces for that one, aren't you? Yeah, so for the Vogan one. We cap all of our races at 150 people um, because we don't want people to be another number. Uh, we want yeah. to be able to have that personal touch. And we don't want the trails to be too cramped where like you, you're stuck behind somebody for a few miles. You don't really want that. So 150 people per race. And yeah, like you said, with the Vogue, we've only got 50 spaces left. It's our most popular okay. one by far. All right. So what we'll do in the show notes, we'll post a link to the races that people can sign up to if they're thinking about giving Ultra a go. That sounds awesome. Well, Reese, this has been absolutely incredible. Thank you for sharing your wisdom and um, your Ultra experience with us. I think you're a bloody mentalist in a good way, I've got to say. <laughs> and I know Laura loves you because you've, you've said about stretching and that's how we finished off. <laughs> stretching and strengthening. So, yeah. yeah. So now you're our <laughs> favourite person. But oh, um, thank thanks a lot, dude. Cheers. Yeah, it's no been problem. an absolute pleasure. No problem Take at all. Easy. And you too. Catch you later. Bye.